I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, a psychoanalyst and artist based in Sweden who works with people internationally, and this is episode 255 of Rendering Unconscious Podcast. My guest today is Carl Abrahamson, a Swedish musician, author, publisher, and filmmaker. He's here to talk specifically about his musical endeavors, including with White Stains, Cotton Ferox, Genesis Briopurage, and Psychic TV. Check out his record label, Highbrow Low Life, at highbrow-lowlife.com. And check him out at Bandcamp, highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com, especially on Bandcamp Fridays, of which one is coming up this Friday, August 4th, where all proceeds go directly to the artists. Your support in that way is so very appreciated. You can support Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of Carl and my creative endeavors at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa23Carl. We also have started a Substack where we post the same exclusive content that we post weekly at Patreon over at Substack. So you can join us there at Vanessa23Carl.substack.com. Whichever platform you prefer, We appreciate your support so much. Carl and I are both self-employed, independent artists and creatives. Uh, I'm a psychoanalyst, of course. Uh, Carl's publishing company is independent, as is his filmmaking and record label. So your support, if you're a listener of Rendering Unconscious Podcast, it's really important that you support the podcast. You can subscribe to the Substack or Patreon for only $5 a month, and we do post exclusive content there every week about our creative and magical practices. We post writing, we post works in progress at our Patreon. At Patreon, you get a bit more, uh, whereas at Substack, you only get one post per week. Uh, At Patreon, you get constant updates about works in progress. And if you're at $10 and up, every time Carl posts a new lecture, you get a link to that lecture included um, so that you can view his lectures for free. It's like an occult academy of sorts uh, to follow all of Carl's lectures and writings. So do join us at Patreon or Substack. We really, really appreciate it and hope to see you there. We are doing more to also work one-on-one with our patrons. So we recently had a Patreon group uh, invite where we could all hang out and chat and people could ask us questions and have discussion. And we're going to be doing more of those in the future. Carl and I are also teaching a class via Morbid Anatomy this September, starting September 10th on the creative and magical power of the cut-up method. So join us at Morbid Anatomy. You can find that class in the liner notes accompanying this episode at renderingunconscious.org and at morbidanatomy.org. And you can also find that information at psychartcult.org. We look forward to seeing you there.
As usual, you can find a video of this conversation up at YouTube. Uh, just search for Rendering Unconscious Podcast or Trapar Film at YouTube. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube. Trapar is Carl's publishing company. You can find his books at trapar.net and his films at Vimeo On Demand and traparfilm.com. Hi, Carl. It's so nice to have you back on the podcast. We usually talk about your writing because you're such a prolific author, but today we're here to talk about your music and your music career because so much is going on. That's right. And and um, thank you for having me. I, I think that um, when you're a productive person, which I am, uh, you simply cannot work with all of these expressions at the same time. You know, I as as you know, and I think most people know, I've been you know working with writing, publishing, making films, making music, doing a lot of photography, and uh, unfortunately, I wish I was this sort of Indian god figure with uh, eight uh, different hands and three brains, uh, but it doesn't work like that. So this past period, I've been working very much with uh, writing, getting some some of my. Uh, books out and also with the publishing but at the same time i felt this sort of uh, burgeoning or increasing uh, desire to um, work with the musical archive mainly and i think in part it had to do with uh, it has to do with with uh, two important demises unfortunately uh, one being uh, genesis peorage who died in 2020 <clears throat> and then my great uh, musical partner uh, Thomas Tiber, who died last year in 2022, uh, that of course affects you on on not only on like friendship levels, but also you look back and process what it is that you've created together. And in some senses, uh, music is uh, such an incredible uh, medium, artistic medium or artist artistic expression toolbox. Uh, because it's not really an intellectual construct. It affects you on emotional levels. It affects you on ir irrational levels. And so when you make these things together with another person, uh, and I've had a few great uh, musical uh, collaborations in that sense, uh, it's very intimate. It, it's You've created something that is basically only on, on the um, emotional sphere, like when I listen to old uh, tracks, old music that I've been involved with, uh, with Thomas, with Jen, with uh, Peter Bergström from from White Saints, and and all these things, uh, it's so evocative. It takes us takes me back to you know the moment of making the music, um, the uh, life period that was going on at the time, and of course the. Um, dissemination through concerts or records um it's basically like a huge cluster or accumulation of emotional memories uh thereby be you know very 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 magical so so what i've done now basically these past months is uh, actively going through the musical archive and seeing what should be out there and from you know my perspective i think everything should be out there uh, and offering it to to labels who perhaps want to um, produce some kind of physical, tangible edition on vinyl or CD or cassette. Uh, and um, that happened very quickly 
like with this one, it's the first CD in that sense, it's Whitestain's single-minded dualisms. And I think it's a great example of what's going on. It's something that I put together, uh, all of the Whitestain's singles, vinyl singles, um, from a 1988, 1989, and that I put together as a digital release, you know, available through all the biggies, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. a couple of years ago. And now it's out in a physical, tangible form. Uh, and an interesting, well, it's not a coincidence, but it's an, it's an unconscious movement of creativity was that just yesterday I released, um, you know, a so-called new release on um, in the digital uh, sphere called Dark Sexorcism with Cotton Ferox, which was the main project I had with Thomas Tibert. And that's is relating to single-minded dualisms in the sense that a long time ago, in 2007, we played the White Stain singles backwards in the studio and put that together. And then we added new Cotton Ferox like soundscapes on top, plus we wove in voices from interviews I had made with specific people because it was a soundtrack for an exhibition called Olika uh, Människor or Different People. So it's constantly amorphous in a way. The, the material has a life of its own and wants to be heard and then takes on different kinds of shapes, constellations, uh, release forms, um, structures. And that makes it very interesting to work with because you could argue that I am the filter or I am the accumulator uh, or, or creator in a way, um, co-creator in, in many of these cases. Um, but it's really driven <laughs> by the material itself. It's very hard to explain, but it's like you invest things in a musical structure that uh, in theory has been vibrating ever since we played it the first time you know, through uh, a normal amplifier or a live um, uh, amplifier or in a studio, you know, you play the music you've composed and produced and it does take on a life of its own. <clears throat> and I think that's true for most art forms, most expressions, they, they leave something uh, behind in the partaker, uh, but also in the creator and sometimes in the interaction between partaker and creator. Uh, so that's the process that I'm in the midst of right now. And it's a joy, of course, because there are a lot of things that were at one time released uh, on solid you know, albums and stuff like that, uh, that now need to be out again. But there's also a lot of unreleased stuff. Uh, you could call it pent up, perhaps, pent up musical projects that need to be uh, exercised in a way uh, and um, set free, unleashed, um, so that people can either listen casually and, and connect the dots between what was going on between different, um, you know, collaborators, different phases, or simply, uh, you know, groove with one specific track or, or album, uh, or they can perform rituals to it. Uh, you know, it's not my business. I just want the music to be out there. And it is conducive to all of these things, casual listening, uh, being a nerd, collecting records, uh, using it for ritual, um, uh, and, and many, many more things. So I would say being involved in this sort of um, hard drive detective work is a great pleasure.
Yeah, because I know hey, that's one of the things Joachim put out before on uh, Ideal Recordings was the work workings because it's such a great piece of uh, ritual music. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, work workings, that was a, uh, a not even a musical project. It was stuff that uh, me and Thomas Tibert uh, made together specifically for ritual use. You know, it was supposed to be played um, on cassette in the background of whenever you were doing um, some kind of weird hocus pocus and it worked really well i had enough experience at that time to know what triggered me in the moment it couldn't be too um, eventful it couldn't be too dynamic or chaotic it needed to be like a pulse definitely a rhythm uh, something uh, dark and evocative uh, that helped uh, build an atmosphere in the ritual chamber um, and then of course uh, we released those two uh, cassettes uh, via Topi Scan, via the Temple of Psychic Youth. And, uh, you know, I guess it sold a few copies, not too many. Uh, but they were bought by people who used who used this music for the very same purpose, meaning it was um, uh, not for casual listening. You know, it could be used for that. But that was really active music. Uh, for for um, uh, magical people. And then, of course, when it much, much later comes out and Joachim uh, produced this beautiful box with cassettes in, and then it becomes a work of art. And there you have this sort of beautiful interaction and intersection that we love so much, where it becomes more than one thing. It becomes more than ritual music, and it certainly becomes more than a work of art. It's these two things and many more things um, conjoined uh, to create quite a powerful uh, talismanic object that can also be used, you know. So it's it's um, seems to be a more or less um, more or less endless uh, process where again these composite musical compositions are more than what they seem to be. They do have a life of their own. Uh, they want to be heard. They want to be seen in a way. Um, they want to be acknowledged for what they are. And uh, so far, it's very interesting because the more I set them free, the more things happen, uh, meaning that they are inherently magical. And it's also thematically uh, uh, inherently more magical in the sense that the more ma music you put out there, whether it's newly composed or old archival stuff, it creates more music, also in music in between human beings. Uh, where we talk about music, where we listen to music, where we create new music together, you know. So it's, uh, I guess it's a very primordial language that certainly goes hand in hand with any and all uh, magical and magical anthropological theories that I have and that I care for and that I work with and that I write about also. This thing where we do have a source, that's where the source magic comes from. And part of that is definitely uh, the irrational, strictly emotional, evocative language of, of music, meaning basically vibration and rhythm. Maybe you could walk us through your musical career from the beginning for people who aren't sure or who only know one project or another, but don't know how many different kinds of projects and iterations and different people you've worked with throughout the years. Absolutely. I, I think that um, when you're young, you are like a sponge. 
you want to basically try things out and 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 it ends up with you emulating because you're not schooled yet you haven't uh, started your own process of learning so you be, begin by um, emulation which is wonderful that's what kids do too you they emulate their parents and their behavior in order basically to survive uh, and uh, in my case i was um, listening to well maybe two two main kinds of music one was rock and roll um sort of tough um and like Iggy the Stooges and there was a lot of things going on at that time meaning late 70s early 80s with post-punk specifically uh the the um weirder kinds of rock and roll from the US that then merged with stuff from the UK as always happens uh, so that kind of rock and roll thing and also psychedelic rock from from the 60s I loved a, a lot uh, but then there was also the more experimental or highbrow music uh, in a tradition of experimental music from you know the 30s and onwards um, I liked a lot and classical music that was sort of evocative but specifically there were interesting intersections going on at this time, meaning, again, late 70s, early 80s. And I'm thinking, of course, of the industrial music with Robin Grissel that then morphed into Psychic TV and created this entire scene where music could be not only artistic and emotional, it could also be intellectual, it could also be magical, specifically, expressively magical. And and um, uh, I got really hooked on that. I found it extremely um, inspiring and uh incentivizing so of course i had those two things you know so when it was time to form a band uh, which was white stains um in 1987 i was 21 at the time um we started out as a kind of very noisy semi-psychedelic rock band but there was always this very noisy aspect and parallel i recorded music of uh, of just chaos you know improvised things um, that are quite powerful because there was a lot of emotional investment in those musical recording sessions. Um, so already then I had these two things, you know, with structured and, and sort of traditional in a way, but far out. And then I had the really far out and sort of experimental things going on. Um, and it reflected also in, in uh, White Stains, depending on who I worked with. So you could say that the first phase, 1987, 1988, was very much... Um, a rock and roll phase, psychedelic rock and roll phase. And that's the kind of stuff that you, people can listen to at the single-minded uh, dualism project in the CD and also available online, of course. Um, but then when I started working together with uh, Pieter Bergstrand and Thomas Seibert, Thomas had a, a studio of his own. He was a very good studio technician. He liked sounds. And Peter was a great musician. He was a, or a professional bass player. I played with many bands that I liked. Uh, so that opened up doors into more structured, again, but also weird stuff, just on a slightly higher level. Left the psychedelic rock and roll, became slightly more contemporary, and specifically uh, drifted with these two people, uh, Thomas and Peter, into two different kinds of electronic ambient music. Um, you could argue same but different, but they, to me they're very different <clears throat> because they are what you and I call uh, third mind projects. Me third minding with Thomas, me third minding with Peter. The three of us didn't always get along as a trio, 
and that's the reason why we had this sort of not a split but a um a divergence in a way of creative collaborations um and it turned into some beautiful beautiful records uh, music um uh, like misanthropotantra and why not forever with peter and um the Summit Lost Horizon with uh, Thomas, uh, which is great ambient electronic music. And then after 1994, uh, White Sands basically took a hibernation uh, break because we had worked so hard, but not really gotten anywhere with record sales or touring in Europe, led, led nowhere really. You know, a lot of fun experiences, but not, I, I had some kind of vain uh, ambition of you know making it into something um, slightly more substantial uh, financially or creatively I don't know uh, so then I couldn't keep my fingers out of the cookie jar so I kept doing music of my own um, uh, solo projects solo recordings some saw the light of day some didn't uh, and that's the kind of stuff that I'm sort of exploring now in the archives um, and then uh, around 2000, the year 2000, I reconvened with Thomas uh, to create Cotton Ferox, which was a brand new project. And we uh, uh, yeah, made some great music, great records. We played a lot live. Uh, and also we collaborated like both with White Stains. Me and Thomas collaborated with Genesis. Uh, also in Cotton Ferox, we collaborated with Genesis. It was like a tradition sort of with 14 years in between in a way uh, or 12 whatever it was uh, and um, we just with Cotton Ferox it was very much going out on a limb some of the stuff was structured but it was always very very trippy and uh, it was what you call like spoken word whereas previously it had become it had been very much uh, instrumental music without words uh, in Cotton Ferox, it was very much spoken word with a magical uh, agenda, if you will. Uh, I invested the words very much with uh, intention and, and uh, sort of performed it with intention, whether in the studio or, or, uh, or live. And it worked really well as a magical method. And it's still something that I'm exploring in, in, making, uh, in making new music and new spoken word uh, projects. Um, and then I guess from during the 2010s, everything sort of fizzled out in a way. Uh, you could call it creative differences or just different uh, trajectories in life, uh, that kind of stuff. So we sort of drifted away from each other. Um, and I started um, working even more on my own uh, because I felt that the, the third mind that we had had uh, didn't really bring so much. So I made my own stuff. And then when you and I um, got together, you and I started working uh, together musically and in project-wise, and it was uh, great to be back in that kind of third mind uh, saddle. Um, and that's basically it. So it's been White Stains, which technically still exists. We, you know, um, I think I'm thinking of making some new um, White Stains records um, because it's fun to have that kind of long-term project. Uh, Cotton Ferox is asleep. Uh, there's a lot of uh, unfinished, unreleased stuff by Cotton Ferox. I think possibly two, three albums that I just have to wrap up, basically, that Thomas and I worked on uh, over many years, but never came to that final fruition. Uh, so, in a sense, Cotton Ferox exists, but Thomas is gone. Uh, so, it's not a third mind. It's me taking care of the archive and legacy, basically. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, that's where I am right now, working with the old stuff. But that sort of inspires me to work on new stuff also. And you also mentioned working with Genesis in each of these projects. You had the White Stains and Psychic TV at Stockholm, and you had Cotton Ferox and The Majesty Wordship, and then you had Carl Abrahamson at Genesis Briar Pure Ridge uh, as the final project. You want to talk yeah. a little bit about those? Absolutely. Um, the first one at Stockholm was uh, the height of. Uh, good topi times and there were a lot of uh creative projects and one of them being to bring genesis and paula Piorich over to scandinavia for a spoken word mini tour and for that me and thomas prepared some music and also a, a beautiful person called uh, per aronson helped us with that um and it was great music you know and worked really well live and so we had sort of more or less decided uh beforehand before the tour even began that um, let's let's record this properly when we come to Stockholm, and and so we did, and we had the music, we sort of played the music. It's not exactly the way it was, the way it turned out to be on the record, but it was the same pieces of music that Jen read to and Paula mixed her uh, tapes and samples live, and um, it was a beautiful magical experience. Uh, in part also for me to because I admired Jen for. Uh, already uh, you know uh, 10 years or something to actually work creatively on in that sense not merely as in the network sense or in the ritual sense but to actually make something um uh, creative in this sense and and he was so professional you know everything was so prepared and that's beautiful seductive voice just delivering everything is like first takes it was, you know, maybe one little retake, but it was so professional. And that also helps by making it magical in a way. It was meant to be magical, and that's why it turned out to be magical. That album came out in 1990, and is, I think, generally regarded as a kind of a masterpiece. I think so many others do, uh, both from White Saints' perspective, but also from, from the delivery of Jan and Paula. Then it took 14 years before the next CD came out, uh, the uh, Wordship CD, which was with The Majesty, which was Jen's solo project or studio project, uh, and um, uh, Cotton Ferox, which was me and Thomas at the time. Uh, we recorded it in Stockholm in 2002, and it came out in 2004 on CD. Uh, and it was the same thing there, beautiful poetry, great delivery, very professional, moved together. And it became this beautiful album. And then um, I said to Jen much later, um, probably around 2015, 16, something like that, shouldn't we make a third one? You know, <laughs> because you know, that would be, make a little tree or a trilogy, which would be great. And and uh, we did and recorded that. And uh, that came out in uh, 2008. 18 maybe 19 so that's another 14 years down the line and we only used our names for that Carl Abramson and um, and Genesis Bri Priorage and that's the album is called Loyalty Does Not End With Death um the uh, vocals were recorded in New York in uh, Sean Ragon's uh, studio and then I made the music in Stockholm and and produced it in Stockholm um so that's also kind of an incredible uh, long-term piece of work because I see them all as one piece in a way the first two were made together with Thomas also and then the final one wasn't um, 
in in a similar way that our book Sacred Intent is a, a, a long-term project. Sacred Intent is a book that collects the conversations or interviews that I did with Jen from 1986 up until 2019. And, you know, even if you, with the best of intentions, you can never go back and redo that, you know. So there was this kind of thing of having some regular stops in the flow forwards to actually you know, uh, have a third mind session and see what should we do? Well, let's make another record. Let's make another interview. Uh, let's make another uh, film, you know, and and uh, just to see and, and document in a way what was going on at the time, but also as a little midpoint or pit stop in this great race uh, uh, forwards. So I'm very happy about that. Sort of, I, I love that kind of long-term uh, perspective. Uh, I don't think many people have it. They want to be like in the moment. And of course, when you look back at that moment later on, it, you do have a historical perspective. But if you construct it spe with specifically a long-term thing in mind, it has a different dynamic, which I think is more interesting in many ways. You invest in the future by deciding that, you know, um, many moons from now we'll make something else. You know, uh, it becomes part of a, you know, uh, almost like a magical being that has a life and just waits for the next infusion. Yeah, and those things become very precious to see how ideas evolve over time, like with Sacred Intent, or to see how music and collaborations evolve over time with these other projects. Yeah, it's, for me, it's pure history writing, you know, because what people tend to uh, call uh, history writing is for me more like history editing you know they're editing sources and putting together sometimes it's objective sometimes it's not but the actual history writing is the real original writing you know that because two historians can put these same source material uh, together in different ways you know so the real history writing is, is the actual moment of creation and the documentation of, of, of uh, whatever happened there Whereas history uh, editing is something else. That's the thing that you can buy in the bookstore when someone has put it uh, together. Uh, usually, usually with a subjective um, through a subjective uh, grid or filter. But but um, I've I've always been more interested in just uh, doing it and keeping it under the umbrella of art. In that sense, uh, you could say that Sacred Intent is an anthology of. You know, from a almost from a journalistic perspective, but it's also art in the sense that we decided around again, I think, in the late '90s that we should really make a book of this someday because we'd already made so many interviews, and thereby we decided that it's no longer a later anthology of interviews; it's a project. Thereby, it's an art project because we were both creative people, and we it's also a magical project because we were both magicians. So again, you have this intersection and sort of, I won't say conflation, but, but I mean, it's, it's sometimes hard to say exactly what it is because it is many things. And that's when I find it interesting to work with. Yeah, and I love the idea of these things as magical projects as well. And I think the story, for those who don't know it, maybe you could talk about your very first record and and Jen encouraging Descended to LeVay and everything that happened from that moment, because I think that's such a great uh, <laughs> inspirational story for especially young people. You know, just get your stuff out there and send it to people you admire, send it to people you want to hear it 
Um, no matter what you think, if they'll, you know, respond or not, because you never know what might happen, you know, mm, and a lot absolutely. of times magical people, especially I found uh, are very open and want to help other people coming up to like get their magic and their artwork out there too. You know, m most people are really encouraging in my, in my experience. Mm. Yeah, totally. Um in this very first phase, we're now back in 1987, uh, 1988, uh, with the first uh, lineup of White Stains, that band. Um, I usually wrote about things that were relevant to me, which was, you know, magical theory, magical practice, cool people, um, trying to, to make it all into, you know, usable lyrics for these rock and roll songs. And, and one of the things that, um, uh, I was very much into was this sort of pop culture, B-movies, uh, horror films, uh, what's generally called like trash culture. Um, I was a huge fan of that and I still am. And the other um, infusion was basically occultism, you know, uh, great magicians, um, occult history, the history of magic, uh, seeing what's going on today, et cetera, et cetera. And, and there was an interesting... Um, uh, meeting there or confluence in the sense that uh, one of my uh, preferred or, or most cherished American B actresses, uh, Jane Mansfield, had been a friend with, with uh, Anton LaVey, who was someone I really admired. I loved what the Church of Satan had been doing and were doing. Um, and, and so basically these were two, like two little not rivulets, but there were two rivers floating and together merging into a great big ocean of fun. And and I wrote a song about that called Sweet Jane, about the relationship. And, you know, it was just uh, my own teenage fantasies in a way. Uh, and when that became the first record of White Stains, the, the, it's like a 12-inch single called uh, White Stains, incidentally also featured on the Single-Minded Dualisms CD. Um, and when that came out, Genesis said that um, I recently met LaVey in San Francisco. You should send the record to him. I think he would appreciate it. And for me, it was like, oh, wow, that's that's amazing. I'll do that. And and Jen gave me the address and it just I just sent it, not expecting anything, you know. But I did get a very, very friendly letter back, not only acknowledging receipt, but, you know, uh, being uh, very happy about the project, saying Jane would be happy uh, and and uh, also making me a member of the Church of Satan. So that was kind of a super mind blower. And that, of course, as most people who know my work, has been with me uh, all of my uh, all of my life. And I mean, in certain senses, it still is. And specifically, perhaps uh, when I am um, in it, it it came back to haunt me in a way in the mid-tens, in the mid-teens, sort of around 2015, um, uh, a guy uh, got in touch, a Swedish guy who had a big collection that he wanted to show me. And it turned out to be uh, the photographers and, and his uh, photographs uh, of Jane Mansfield and LaVey together. He had been a paparazzo photographer in Los Angeles and had taken pictures of them at many times. And for me, seeing these pictures, they were the pictures I'd seen in the Swedish men's magazines in, in the early 80s that had created my love for these two specific people. And now I saw the real photographs and immediately said that, wow, we need to turn this into a book. And that became the book California uh, Infernal. Um, 
by Walter Fisher, the great, great photographer. Uh, so that was like the first thing that reawoke this wonderful um, uh, foundation of my youth in a way, my, my prurient crystallization, what was going on between Jane Mansfield and Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, just remarkable. And the book turned out to be a beautiful photo book. Uh, it did well. I think it's sold out now. Um, and anyway, that got me thinking about, because uh, what had happened after I'd sent the record to LaVey, gotten the letter, was that I went over there. I went over to uh, San Francisco in 1989, and then uh, almost once a year for the following years. And we became friends. And Anton LaVey and Blanche Barton, his partner, was they were incredibly supportive of my work. You know, providing with me with material for the Fenris Wolf Journal, uh, and just on a personal level, encouraging my writing, all of these things um, that have meant a lot to me. And this came about because Jen said, "Send the record to Lave. You know, you never know what happens. And some great things happened, and and they are still with me, very resonant today. And of course, zooming back beyond the coffee table book, California Infernal. I started thinking about, whoa, what was really going on at the time when I was there, you know? And I started talking to some other people who had been there at the same time. And that turned into the quite ambitious documentary film, um, Into the Devil's Den, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, that then led on to the book, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan, Infernal Wisdom from the Devil's Den. So it's like um, this first amorous teenage infection, in a way, or affliction even, uh, that turned into this song, uh, created many, many major ripple effects in my life. So you just have to trust the river in a way. Yeah, and go where, with, where your passion and desire yeah. direct you. Exactly. Totally. And like you said, you have the film, uh, the books, the Fenris Wolf series is still going, and of course all this great music is coming out. And you mentioned... Yeah. Um, that it's available digitally and that's it. You've been putting everything up on Bandcamp slowly but surely and getting, well, quickly but surely, I should say, <laughs> getting it up on Bandcamp. Uh, and we've been uh, revitalizing the Highbrow Low Life website. Maybe you could talk a little bit about Highbrow Low Life, your record label. Absolutely. It, it began also as a kind of a collaboration with uh, Thomas um we had a label called uh, Confucius and, and a greater project called Kooks together with other independent labels in the early 2000s. Uh, but that sort of fizzled out too. And then we still needed a label to release uh, records because we were producing albums and we wanted to retain that kind of control. So we created Highbrow Low Life, uh, which was um, a record label and still is. Today it's you and me running it. Uh, and um, I think we're up to, in theory, at least uh, almost 70 uh, releases. Uh, and I'm going to make sure that they're all available digitally um, online and uh, also just keep releasing stuff. So the Highbrow Low Life project as such is part of this um, uh, foundational period, which was the early 80s, I'd say, for me, when there were a lot of independent labels around you didn't want to, as it was, you know, sell out to a major, whatever that meant. Uh, but you re retain your own control. And of course, back then, it was all physical, uh, tangible vinyls, later on CDs, cassettes. 
Uh, and now it's all basically online with streaming and downloading, which is beautiful, and a, a slight resurgence of, of vinyl and CDs and even cassettes. And I think it's all great. You know, I would love for everything to be available on every uh, platform in every medium, in a way. So uh, I will not take uh, highbrow low life um, tangible physical. It's too much work, and I have this, the similar kind of dilemma with the book publishing at, at Trapar. Uh, books, films, and editions. Um, so I think uh, Hybrid Olaf will be mainly a digital platform. Um, and we're doing good. And the site is being revamped uh, as we speak. And it will be a great hub for people, just like uh, the Highbrow Low Life Bandcamp, uh, where people can buy a lot of the, the releases and that sort of goes straight to us, whereas it's a slower process. And, you know, you don't get money from Spotify plays, for instance, but it's still good to be there, just the exposure so that people can find our music in the uh, environment that they're accustomed to, that they like simply. And I guess Spotify has taken over um, a lot of that. Uh, but we, of course, appreciate if people buy and download the albums via the Bandcamp, Highbrow Lowlife Bandcamp, and all of the links there, uh, will be at the, um, or they are at the Highbrow Low Life website, which is basically highbrow-lowlife.com. Um, so it's fun to work with. It's one of these never-ending projects. <laughs> you Occasionally you get tired of it, but then you have to sort of resume because it is a way of, uh, it's a house in a way. And the house has many rooms and it's a beautiful house. And if you're tired of it, you just leave the house for a while and go to another house. But then you return and realize, whoa, it's a little bit dusty here in the corner. So you start cleaning up and, and you maybe redo the interior decoration, whatever. Uh, but it's still the same. It's still a house of music. Well, it's great that you're doing this now and taking care of your archives. Um, because you're doing that in a lot of ways, like with that book that you recently just finished writing, where it's like your magical autobiography of sorts, and you've been going through all the archives and pulling out this material and organizing it and finding so many gems. And it's important to keep it all organized because this is like cultural history, you know? Yeah, totally. And and uh, I, I was going to say that I, I've always been a pack rat, but I don't mean that. I think I've always been an amateur archivist you know, collecting stuff, but not really knowing how to structure it in, in a hyper-rational way. You know, what's been interesting at the moment for creative purposes is right before me. And then it gets sort of not tossed out, but it has a kind of an intuitive order. And sometimes I find that I've created much more order than I think or remember, but usually it's kind of semi-chaotic. And then I have to make a little bit of structure there. And then I find a lot of gems and, and writing that magical... Um, biography that's coming out early next year uh, was an amazing experience because a little bit frustrating too you know I found such a, a lot of good stuff that has been integrated on some level but of course I couldn't fit everything in but that's not frustrating that's just an incentive to write another book on a similar uh, vibe or perhaps hone in focus on one specific era or collaboration or whatever and you see where that takes me because um, there's simply so much stuff in the archive just like there is with the musical archive and i want to make sure everyone knows where they can find all of your stuff so you have your main website carlabrahamson.com 
and that seems to have links to most everything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, of course, your publishing company, Trapar Books, Films, and Editions. So you can go to trapar.net for that. Mm. Um, and then you've got all of your films as well as video lectures you've been doing. You've been recording yeah. a lot of video lectures on your Vimeo on demand. That's right. And, then, and also the, the, our pay, the Patreon that we, you and I have together is a great source for exclusive material and just quick news updates and and uh and works in things. progress and the magic monday tracks. post yeah the magic monday post is like once a week uh, you and i write about um, our magical practice and it's turning into once a year we turn them into books it's two volumes out so far so i mean that's that's uh, for me also a good example of how it works you know on a daily level we work with this kind of creative magic or or magical creativity and it turns into product um and as Jan would say, the product is the process and vice versa. Uh, uh, further down the line, it turns into a book or it turns into a record. Uh, and then it creates synergies and sort of cross-fertilizes. Uh, I love this kind of, um, it's like being constantly inside uh, a womb that doesn't create uh, humanoid little monsters, but just great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, all the different projects feed each other. Big books become films and music becomes soundtracks and vice versa. Films become yeah. books and it just goes round and round. Yeah. Lyrics for songs become poetry books and yeah, it's endless. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of the music, we should also mention that the Bandcamp site, I think, I mean, of course, people will find that through through my website, through your website, and through the Highbrow Low Life website, there will be links to to the to the Bandcamp. But it's basically Bandcamp, yeah, highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com, and that's where we now um, put everything as much as possible. Eventually, there will be everything, of course, you know, old stuff, new stuff, uh, readily available with um, information notes and all kinds of stuff. It's really like. A, it's a good repository for for everything that I've been involved with. Uh, sooner or later, everything will be there. Yeah, and the best thing to do is to buy things there on Bandcamp Friday, which there's a Bandcamp Friday this yeah. Friday, August 4th, and they have them periodically. I don't know if they're exactly every month, but periodically there's a Bandcamp Friday. So we'll keep people posted as to when those are coming up through our patreon and social yeah. media because then all of the money goes directly to the artists which is very helpful mm -hmm. um and if there's a physical release like we do have some diy cds for some releases or uh things like that uh, we try to link that from the Bandcamp as well so if you're interested in the in the physical release um and then you've also got this new poster coming out soon too that's a old gem of a poster that's going to be available soon as well yeah absolutely it's uh, the original poster uh, that i have a few of from uh, the release of uh, at stockholm you know when the cd came out in 1990 it's a beautiful poster and and that that's something that we will we will be selling via bandcamp great is there anything else that you want to mention that we didn't get to well, probably, but you know, <laughs> it's it it never ends. That's that's the I was gonna say it's, that's the problem, but it's not a problem. It's a blessing. It never ends. It's a blessing, and there will be more music, more uh, movies, more uh, books, more lectures, uh, more of everything. It's just the way it is, and um, 
I think uh, I would like to to thank everyone who's supporting us also uh, through the Patreon, through buying stuff from Bandcamp or from Trapar. Uh, every little contribution makes a great deal of difference and it makes it possible to carry on at this frantic pace uh, because it basically buys us time to, to work with stuff that we really love and that really inspires us. And I think it's good... Uh, because if nothing else, hopefully that will inspire other people to do their own thing also. That's always been a key uh, thing for me. And that's as far as I go in terms of, you know, proselytizing any you know kind of philosophy. It's just really do your own thing, go with the flow, uh, individuate, find out what makes you happy and then just do it. It's really, it's very hard, but it's also that simple. Yeah, no, and you're a great example of that. And I love you were recently on Devin Persons. Uh, podcast this podcast is a ritual and I really like that he caught that angle you know if somebody's not putting this information out and organizing it into books and lectures and organizing events then the information doesn't get to people and you've been doing that for decades for people so it was really nice to hear and recognize that because uh, I see that and you see that and this is all independent work done from passion and love you know, you've had your own publishing company independently, you know, since the 80s and in different forms. Um, and this is, of course, independent music labels. And it's important to support independent artists. He also said something that I thought was really smart. Uh, you mentioned like selling out like it used to be like, you know, do your own thing. Don't sell out and keep your integrity. But now with social media, it's like all about selling out, like <laughs> all about what you can get some advertiser to get you to sell yeah. uh, on Instagram or whatever. And we don't do that. And you can see the market, you know, trying to get you to do that. And uh, but then it changes what you're doing, you know, and what's more important. I mean, it's important to also make money and have a living, but it's, you know, we need that too. Um, but it's also important to keep doing what you're doing with your own vision and integrity and not just like, yeah, sell random products because they're offering you money. Absolutely. No, I mean, it's very, very, very interesting. I think the greatest aspect of influencing for me has always been and remains and will hopefully always be inspiration. I want to influence people to be inspired and do their own thing, you know, because uh, it's a weird, weird, very um, zeitgeistish expression or profession, you know, to be an influencer, you know, it could be good, could be bad, you know, it really means nothing. Uh, but usually it has to do with you um, subjugating whatever it is you want to do to outer forces that will be visible in your glow in the light of your aura in a way. And and for me, it has to be something very, 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 very special for me to allow that. Uh, so I'm I'm very happy and grateful for people who actually support what we do by buying our stuff. That's always the best thing. And the Patreon, of course, is, is wonderful. So because um, every little counts. And, yeah, and, it all adds up. No, and the influencers, I mean, they're basically just getting people to buy stuff, you know. They're yeah, just, you well, know. so are we, but we wanted to buy our stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But we're not taking money from outside people to yeah, talk people yeah. into buying their products, you yeah. know. We're just uh, doing what we love and hoping people love it and want to support us. 
yeah, in that absolutely. too. Absolutely. And, and like you said, not telling people what they should do or what they should think, but rather just how, trying to show them through example that you can like live a great life doing what you really care about and what really drives you. And they mm-hmm. should find whatever that is in themselves and do that too, yeah. not telling them what that is for them, which yeah. is also a big difference because people a lot of times, you know, want a guru or want somebody to tell them what to do. And as a psychoanalyst, I don't do that. As a magician, you don't do that. We don't do that. We don't tell no. people what to do. We might point them to great things, like like people have pointed us to great things. Like you mentioned the Topi days, you know, you'd have liner notes or in Levee's uh, Satanic Bible, you have, you know, notes about what authors they like or music they mm-hmm. like. And it sends you on these journeys into these other worlds of like authors and writers and thinkers and musicians that you didn't know about before. Mm-hmm. And that we love to do, like show people great things that have inspired us, but it's not telling them what, what they should be thinking or doing. It's just showing them more yeah. creative. Yeah. yeah. It's of basically about being, being generous with, with your own process. You know, it's not just putting product out there, but also be willing to talk about it and and explain things for those who, are, who want to listen. You shouldn't explain things to people who don't want to listen. You should only explain things when people ask you to explain them. Uh, and I think um, it's also something that is symptomatic of the times we live in. There's simply too much explanation and too little emotion. Uh, and, and uh, you know, there's no way we can change that other then do what we do, you know, just be true to yourself and, and keep producing stuff that is resonant with the core that you have. And I think we're doing that. And I think you can also see that uh, for me, uh, be when I was young, I thought, oh, it's going to be so horrible, uh, you know, to be old. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm old, but I'm definitely older. Uh, and it's only brought great things in the sense that I've stuck to my vision, uh, you know, whatever it is that I'm doing. Decidedly, the, the advantages of getting older is that you become more and more recognized. Uh, and it's not an automatic process. You still have to work, you know. But I've been working diligently since since the early 80s. Then, um, so I guess people know who I am. There's this thing called brand recognition. Uh, and in that sense, it is good to stay, not the same, but to stay on the same path and, you know, produce new stuff. Of course, to develop and allow for, for new um energies to come in new third mind projects uh, but basically that you're continuing to be true to yourself and i perceive that i am and i perceive that has great effects and benefits in the sense of you know spreading inspiration but also from a strictly causal uh, perspective you know the more books i i write the more books are published and the more people will see them uh, so it is a kind of um oh, it's a causal uh, process too that I greatly enjoy working in I have to say yeah and we should also let people know you have started consulting as well where you meet with people and kind of help coach them and teach them things that you've learned along the way and uh, maybe you could say a little bit about that that that's available yeah absolutely and I think that um, it's part of uh, every magical tradition and and um, uh, I am part of a magical tradition that is, um, you know, fairly unique and fairly 20th century, but it still has deep roots uh, within this beautiful, as I call it, colorful gray area where art and culture and magic meet, you know, 
specifically how Topi, for instance, integrated the writings of Barros and Geisen, and basically artistic influx that was magically uh, tainted or, or uh, infused, but merged with this specifically magical energy of Topi and created something that is new and vital. And that's the kind of perspective I have. Um, I'm not dusty or arcane. I'm not rooted in, in grimoire tradition. Uh, more so, I would say I'm more rooted in, in um, uh, cutting-edge psychology in a way. And I like to talk to people and I can inspire people. And I have helped a lot of people on a one-to-one -one basis also. Uh, of course, everything in complete confidence and, and uh, secrecy and uh, res respect uh, when people are really stuck. And usually it is magicians. It is magicians who have had these conundrums of, you know, could be generational shifts or or not feeling that they get the results they want. Or it could be even, you know, non-magical people who just want to have a little boost uh, by conversation or by, by these things that I call existec, existential technology, which is basically magical artworks or talismanic artworks that um, that I can create for people. And it really helps. Um it has helped a lot of people, and and I welcome those um, meetings and consultations very much. Yeah, exactly. You can help teach people how to do it themselves, or coach them, yeah. or you can also people can also hire you to create magical artworks and do sigil work yeah. for them as a magic yeah, as a magician. Exactly. exactly. And I think that the Patreon meeting that we had about a month ago was also really generative. We invited our Patreon community to chat with us for an hour, hour and a half or so. Um, and that's led to some uh, magical art, collaborative artworks as well. So we'll probably do more of that. Uh, so join our Patreon community for more of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Is there anything else? We're doing so much. Yeah, we're doing People always tell us that we're doing so much. And now that we're uh, talking, I'm like, wow, we really are doing so much. Oh, we yeah. also have a class coming up. We should talk about that too. Uh, where yeah. We're having a class through Morbid Anatomy the first four Sundays uh, starting September 10th. Um, we're going to do four two-hour classes for those four Sundays uh, on the cut-up method and using it as a magical and creative practice and infusing it with an intention to help uh, yeah, create things in your life and manifest things in your life. So that'll be four weeks of that. And there's already a good amount of people signed up for that. So we welcome people to sign that as well. Um, you can find that at morbidanatomy.org. Uh, and I'll link to it, of course, in the liner notes. I'll link to everything in the liner notes that accompany this episode. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I have anything specific to add. It's just... Uh... It's a daily grind, but it's a beautiful grind and it leads to many new processes and products and meetings and, and consultations and third mindings. Uh, and um, it's just delightful. A delightful bouquet, as my husband yeah. would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll do more of these and have you back and we can keep talking about your process and our processes because I think, yeah, it's a great thing to do. And actually by talking through it, it's helping me kind of organize things in my mind. So for That's purely selfish works. regions. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep third minding uh, yeah. on the podcast for everybody to hear. And hopefully it inspires others and reach out if you have any questions. We're also going to do that. We're going to try to add some more interactive aspects to our Patreon. So if you have any questions for us, feel free to email me. 
You can find my email at my contact page, drvanessasinclair.net slash contact. Um, and my email is vs at drvanessasinclair.net. Email me any questions you have for us because uh, we're going to start answering them on our Patreon, doing something live like this where we chat and answer questions. So, um, yeah, feel free to send those in as well. And then I always put a song at the end of the episodes. Did you have a specific song you'd like to um, highlight? Wow, that's difficult. I think you should highlight by by playing at least a little snippet from Sweet Jane. Uh, okay. No, we're going to play the whole Sweet Jane then. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We could do that because the song it is that on started this... it all. It, 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 it didn't start it all, but it started a major movement in my life uh, that led to so many things and to us actually sitting here today in the way that we're doing. You know, um, everything has its origin, everything has its core. Um, uh, pardon the pun, Genesis, uh, where it sprouts, you know, when the seed has matured enough, it comes to the surface and pierces the veil of the surface and then becomes a beautiful flower or a tree or a shrub or, or uh, whatever it becomes, you know. And, and um, I think that song, Sweet Jane, is one of those moments, one of those piercing moments when I left the dark occult soil and became something cultural yeah and we could use the artwork for the cover art for this episode because i love the artwork for that it's a cut single as well yeah great and i just have to show you our beautiful puppy she's been (laughs) sleeping here like a little angel hello isn't she so cute (laughs) what a good dog yeah thank you Linnea. Mm-hmm. Well, I love you, and I'll see you in a few minutes. See you, see you downstairs. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Carl Abrahamson. For more, visit his website, carlabrahamson.com, or join us at Patreon or Substack. We look forward to seeing you there. And as a reminder, this Friday, August 4th, is Bandcamp Friday. So if you'd like to support Highbrow Low Life at Bandcamp, Friday is a great day to do it. That's highbrowlowlife.bandcamp.com. There's also other merch available there, including a Psychic TV and White Stains at Stockholm poster that's vintage, um, as well as other CDs and DIY items. And now the song Sweet Jane from the album Single-Minded Dualisms. Enjoy. When I woke up, I felt like I owned the whole world. I never remember feeling so good before. Never? Never, 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 never.